Well, again, my name is Matt Randalls, and I've been part of your church here for about eight months or so now. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. The first time I ever set foot in a covenant church was the Sunday after 9-11 at Pine Lake Covenant Church up uh, in Sammamish, just down the road. And I interned there while I was finishing seminary at Fuller Seminary in Seattle. And then after our second daughter was born, we moved to Montana, and I was a staff pastor at the Covenant Church there in Helena. And then we did a church plant, and I was the, the church planting pastor there also in Helena. And that was Headwaters Covenant Church, and uh, that was a wonderful experience, and Headwaters is still there doing its ministry. But in 2011, my wife, uh, her job brought us back to the Seattle area, and so we came back here. And then, then there was this pandemic, and uh, we moved to the pass. And so we've been at the pass full-time since, uh, since you can't go anywhere <laughs> and just live in there and uh, gradually just became more a part of Cascades here. So it's been great to be here. It's also a really weird time to start at a new church because you don't know what anyone looks like because we're all wearing masks. And I don't know what normal was for Cascades. You all do. You know better than I do. But uh, we'd love to get to meet you and get to know you, and we're really happy to be part of your church here. Um, now, imagine if it was Sunday morning, well it is, but imagine that you came to church and we had locked all the doors and you were standing outside and the doors are all locked and you can see the wonderful worship service going on inside, but you can't get in and so you pound on the door, nobody notices. The service is going on, you can't get in, you just keep pounding on the door. What would you do? Would you, would you keep at it? Would you kick down the door to get inside? Would you break a window? Would you get on the roof and tear a hole in the roof to get down into the church service? Well, today we're going to look at a story from the Gospel of Mark in which a bunch of guys faced that same kind of thing. Not locked doors, but a standing room only crowd and no way to get to Jesus except through the roof. So we're in this sermon series, as Angela said earlier, called Restart, and it's all about making faith practical. And Angela kicked it off a couple of weeks ago with that classic story about the guy who builds his house on the rock and the guy who builds his house on the sand. A story that's all about not just hearing the word of God, but doing it. And if you listen to Jesus and what he says, but don't actually do any of it, it's like building your house on the sand. And then last week, Dan looked at how we hear God both through the written word that he has given us and through the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And this week, this story is again about hearing what Jesus has to say, but this time it's about how far some guys were willing to go to get to Jesus. And, that, and we're going to see that they were willing to go to great lengths, extraordinary lengths to get to Jesus. And as we look at this story, we're going to weigh what we want, again, against what we need. And we're going to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is and why anyone would be crazy enough to rip open a roof to get to him. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see that going to crazy lengths to get to Jesus isn't really crazy after all. So let's get into this story. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. 
And it picks up right after Jesus has healed a man of leprosy. And so Mark chapter 2, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man on the mat that he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking such things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, when Pastor Dan asked me to preach this passage, my first thought was, oh yeah, this story, I've heard this one a hundred times. I've heard it in Sunday school since I was a little kid. You know, it was probably told on the flannel graph. Do you remember those things? Yeah, back in the 70s. But I got to admit, I have a different impression when I hear it now. When I was seven, I thought, awesome. These guys tore the roof open. (laughs) That is the coolest thing. Now I own a home. (laughs) And during that recent storm we had, there was like two feet of snow on my roof or more. And it had me worried. So these guys are tearing through roofs like, no thanks. But that's exactly why this story is remembered. Because it's dramatic. It's shocking, even. It's certainly not something you see every day. And that's not all. It's not just about some brash bros who went to some crazy lengths to get to Jesus. It's more than that. It's remembered because it shows us some pretty important things about Jesus, who he is, and it puts a fine point on what really matters in life. So let's start by looking at the various players in this story. First off, we've got Jesus, of course, obviously. This is only the second chapter of Mark, and so it's pretty much the beginning of the gospel, and in these opening chapters, Mark gives us an overview of Jesus' ministry, of his preaching and teaching and healing, and pretty soon, Jesus' name is on everyone's lips. He's the talk of the town. Now, we'll have more to say about Jesus as we go along, but for now, I just want to say, without him, there's no story. That's the main thrust of this story. Jesus and how Jesus shows us who God is. Okay, and then there are the crowds. So Jesus' reputation has gone viral. Right before this story, he healed this guy who then told the whole world. Jesus said, don't tell anyone. The guy's told everyone. 
And because of this, Jesus couldn't move around freely anymore. And Mark tells us he stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So everyone's talking about him. He's big news. He's the biggest thing going. And so when he comes back to town, people hear about it. And when he starts teaching at someone's house, it's standing room only. And it's because of these crowds that are completely cramming the place full, that so full that no one could get through the door. It's because of them that we have this story, which leads us to the four guys. Now, actually, it says some men came, and four of them carried their paralyzed friends. So it might have been a bigger group. We don't know. In any event, this group of guys is so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They're so committed that they won't let anything stop them. Can't get through the door? Fine. We'll go through the roof. We're going to have more to say about them in a bit as well, but we can't forget about their friend, the guy on the mat. And guess what? We don't know a thing about him other than the fact that he can't walk. We don't know if he was born that way or what happened to him. We don't know his name. And in the whole story, he never even says a word. In fact, this guy doesn't do anything. He just lays there on the mat. He gets lowered down through a hole in the roof before Jesus. His friends do all the work. He doesn't do anything. Instead, things happen to him. And so those guys digging through the roof, that's the dramatic setup the surprise that grabs our attention. But what happens next is an even bigger surprise. It's a real plot twist. It says when Jesus saw their faith, the guys who dug through the roof, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, their friend who's just lying there not doing anything, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees the faith of the friends and he forgives the man. This opens up all kinds of interesting questions, some, some hard, thorny questions about how faith and forgiveness and salvation all work. Jesus died for our sins, but here he just simply forgives this man. And not because he asked for forgiveness, not because we even see any explicit repentance. We don't know anything about this guy's sins. And it doesn't even seem like his friends brought him to Jesus to be forgiven. They were hoping Jesus would heal him. But Jesus knows what we need more than we do. Jesus knows what we need more than we do. Absolutely, healing is important, but forgiveness is even more important. What we want versus what we need. Getting that sorted out is a lifelong journey. We want all kinds of things, and our world is constantly telling us we need them. Verizon keeps texting me to get a new phone. You need to upgrade because I've only got, a, I don't know, an iPhone 10. But, you know, there's been the 11, the 12, and the 13. But, you know, then there's going to be the 14, 15, and the whatever. It, it never ends. So we need that, or we need some other material thing. Or maybe we want prestige, or respect, or pleasure or experiences, or maybe just a little more money. 
it's easy to look at these things, which are often good things, and we can think that they're things we can't live without, but Jesus knows what we need more than we do. And he knows what we need more than anything else. There's this old song by Charlie Peacock, who was, I don't know, he was big in the 90s, I guess. And it's a song called Simply Forgiveness. And he sings this. I believe there is one thing we need more than to be understood or be known. It's our need, a true, undeniable need. For me and for you, this is our need, forgiveness. And then the song goes on towards the end and it really starts jamming and he sings, this is the straight up undeniable, no confusing it for something else need of every heart, every woman, every man that ever was or ever will be, that's right. Sweet, sweet forgiveness. Come even now. Come even now. Come even now. And here we see Jesus look down upon this guy who's just been lowered down through the hole in the roof by his friends. He marvels at the faith of the friends and he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, did you notice that there's, um, there's some other people in this story that I haven't mentioned yet? That's right, the complainers. I, I mean, the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law, but they're the complainers. And I would contend that they're the ones who bring the focus onto what this story is all about and why it was remembered, why it was written down, and why we're talking about it today. The teachers of the law, they see what Jesus has done, and they see that he declares this man's sins are forgiven, and they begin to think to themselves, they don't even complain out loud, but Jesus knows their thoughts. They start thinking, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. Who does this guy think he is? Well, guess what? They were onto something. Jesus has the, the power to, of forgiveness, the authority to forgive. And this reveals who he is. Jesus has the, the power of forgiveness, the authority to forgive, and this reveals who he is. Now, if we jump over to the book of Hebrews, we see that it opens like this. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then Paul in Colossians, he writes in a similar way. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And through him, everything that is, that exists, was created. And so this story is about showing us who Jesus is. It's about revealing Jesus as the Son of God, with the power of God, with the authority of God. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, these belong to God. And God freely gives them as he sees fit. 
And so Jesus declares to this man lying on the mat before him that he is forgiven. Jesus has that power. This leads us into the second plot twist. So Jesus calls out those teachers of the law, those complainers, and he says to them and to everyone there, which, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, it's obvious, right? Anyone can say the words, your sins are forgiven. But maybe they are, maybe they're not. And so these guys are thinking, who does Jesus think he is? Does he think he speaks for God? They don't think so. Well, Jesus calls their bluff. And he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so then he says to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And that's just what he did. Now, Jesus healed people of all kinds of things. He even raised people from the dead. And here we see that he used healing as a sign, a sign that he had the authority to forgive sins. Healing is great. Forgiveness is greater. The power to heal is impressive. Jesus' authority is more impressive. And so he used healing as a sign that he had the authority of God himself. Now, have you ever heard that... um, people who say that Jesus was just a great teacher. He was just, you know, a a wonderful, enlightened person. I've known lots of teachers. We all have. I've never heard of anyone tearing through a roof to get to class. If you can't get in, you're like, free day, okay. Jesus was a great teacher, to be sure, but he was more than that. There was something so compelling about him that the guy's Those guys were so determined to get their friend in front of him, and they weren't going to be stopped by anything. Now, one of my family's favorite movies at the holidays is Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Have you seen this one? Uh, It's a good one. She plays this woman in New Orleans who's working a dead-end job who ends up getting a terminal diagnosis right around New Year's, and she's told that she has three weeks to live. So she quits her job, cashes out all her accounts and goes to her dream ski resort in the mountains of the Czech Republic. And her story is the main story of the movie. Her story drives the plot, the action, everything, but there's more to it than that. There's this guy who likes her. And so when she quits her job and leaves town, disappears, isn't seen again, he tracks her down. He finds out that she's crossed the ocean to the other side of the planet And then he goes after her. He goes after her even after he finds out that she's got this terminal diagnosis, that she's only got weeks to live. And so he quits his job. He gets on a plane, even though he hates to fly. He heads up to that mountain resort to find her, even though this avalanche happens, like what we just had recently, you know, it buries the highway. He doesn't let that stop him. He gets out and hikes the rest of the way trudging through the snow until he finally gets to her hotel at that ski resort in the mountains. And when he finds her, he says to her, I want to be with you, whether it's for five minutes or 50 years. She mattered that much to him. Now, he could have said, quit my job. 
No way. Fly to the Czech Republic? How many connections is that? No, forget it. It's too far. It's too expensive. And I hate to fly. And when the highway got buried under that avalanche of snow, he could have said, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. But he didn't. Instead, he did all the things because she was that important to him. She mattered that much. And those guys way back then who ripped open the roof knew Jesus mattered that much. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having the guts to tear open someone else's roof? Isn't that just a little crazy? Don't you think people looked at them and thought, man, these guys are nuts. Man, these guys are going to get sued. But those guys didn't care. And there's a lesson to, to us in that. Jesus is worth it. He's worth looking like you're crazy. Those guys risked everything to help their friend because they saw who Jesus was and what he could do. They didn't care what people thought. They kept their eyes on the prize. And I don't know about you, but I don't like looking stupid. It's nice to be well thought of, to be respected, to be respectable. But sometimes following Jesus means being out of step with the rest of the world and being out of step with what the world thinks makes sense or looks good or is respectable. Sometimes following Jesus seems crazy. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, giving your hard-earned money to ministry. These are countercultural ways to live. They always have been, and they always will be. Loving, loving your enemies, forgiving those who have wronged you, those who have hurt you, those who haven't even said they're sorry. These are countercultural crazy things. Why would we even think of doing such things? Because Jesus is worth it. Because when we really see Jesus, when we see his love for us, how he says to, to us, to you, you are forgiven, it changes things. It changes everything. And then maybe you don't care that it's crazy. You don't care about being respectable. You don't care what people think. You know, a while ago, in our culture, one of the buzzwords around the church was that the church needs to be seeker-sensitive, that we use too many churchy words and churchy lingo, and we do things that ordinary people don't understand, that might even pe put people off. And so we should get rid of all that. We should make it simple and easy to understand. We should set the bar low. Don't ask anything of anyone. Don't talk about taking up your cross or denying yourself. Make it easy to be a Christian. Now, maybe I'm painting with a broad brush, and we certainly don't want to make being a Christian seem repellent, but in a way, make it easy, dumb it down, is, is getting it completely backward. Because knowing Jesus and following him is the greatest thing. It's worth it. It's worth whatever it takes, whatever the cost. Those guys wanted to get their friend to Jesus because they knew he was worth it and nothing was going to stop them. And you know, that was the least seeker-sensitive gathering there ever was. You couldn't even get in the door. You had to rip the roof open. But they didn't care. 
because they were willing to do what it takes and because Jesus was worth it. Now, thankfully, we don't lock the doors here on Sunday morning, and you don't have to come through the roof. There's nothing barring the way, nothing physical, that is. Coming to Jesus might be costly. It might mean giving up respectability. It might mean going against the grain, against societal norms, but it has always meant that. And even so, it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And he knows what we need because he knows us better than we know ourselves. We don't always get what we want. I think the Rolling Stones even know that. But Jesus doesn't hold back with what we need most. Forgiveness, the power of his Holy Spirit living in us, eternal life with him, comfort in adversity, hope in times of darkness, assurance that though we may have troubles, he has overcome them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for this story that is dramatic and was written down and remembered for us about these guys who went so far to get to you, Lord. Lord, may we have that same spirit. May we not let anything stop us from getting to you. Thank you that you offer us what we need, that you do know us so well, better than we know ourselves. We thank you that you so freely forgive and that you love us so much that you would go to the cross for us. We give you all the praise, for you are worth it, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand um, for our benediction. Go now in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of the Father, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for coming, and amen.